Jesus, waiting is hard. Waiting on you in the midst of the storm is hard. But you have given us the strength to wait, to help us through what it is we're going through, these difficult times. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This morning, almost from the second I woke up, there was cursing, screaming, not the way you want to begin a morning. There were punches thrown but not landed, and before you think about calling Amy, I'm talking about my cats. The screaming and the cursing occurred and kept happening until I closed her in the bedroom. You see, a couple weeks ago, we rescued another, another feral kitten. Took her to the vet. She's all healthy. And we, we have started to try to introduce this new kitten to our other herd of cats. I think you call them a herd when you get to that number. I really shouldn't say the number because you probably would think I'm a crazy cat person, but I am. So they just weren't getting along. And the funny thing was, the little kitten, the new kitten, was the one chasing everyone else around, was being the bully. It's amazing how that happens. It goes directly into what I want to talk to you about today. How important it is to control our tongues. See, James in chapter 3 begins and talks about this, and he says it, and I'm going to use it in the message paraphrase today. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now let's stop there for a second. James starts this conversation in an interesting way. It says, don't presume to be a teacher. Now, I know we have educators in the room. Is that a shot at educators saying you've made a bad choice? Absolutely not. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us that those who teach should be honored, particularly those who teach within the context of the church or Christian education. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.17 says the elders or pastors, those two words are used synonymously and interchangeably in the New Testament. So the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those 
who work, whose work is in preaching and teaching. See, the Bible clearly teaches that teaching is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what is James after here? Look again at the language. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. That key word is presume. Meaning someone who presumes to know more than others know. Someone who thinks that they are someone that others should listen to. Someone who presumes that they can counsel others. Someone who presumes that they are living in a way that others should and, and could learn from them. Someone who loves an audience, loves the sound of their own voice, loves to tell everyone else what's wrong with their lives, how to live, and how to do better. James is after an attitude not a vocation, because it's a deadly and a deceptive attitude. It's deadly because anyone who does sets themselves up as an expert and will obviously, based upon the Scripture, be judged more strictly. And it's deceptive because none of us should presume that when we open up our mouths, good automatically comes out. See, if the words of our mouth were impeccable, they were always right, always perfect, then we would be perfect. Because the tongue really is the control center for our in, inside, our internal world. So do you see how James is starting off this? It's a foundation for everything he's going to explore. And he wants us to evaluate the tongue in such a way that we see how it sits in the driver's seat for our entire spiritual life. See, if you can control the tongue, your whole life can be controlled. That's how significant it is. So right here, right in the beginning, James says that the path to a truly spiritual life goes through our mouths. So with that in mind, let's take a little bit, look at, have him go a little bit deeper into this. Beginning in verse 3, he says, A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. You see, here's the big idea. Something small can exert an enormous impact for either good or for evil. James knows how we can play down the role of our mouth, our tongues, our words, our speech. 
in terms of our spiritual lives. It's, it's a mistake, but we do it anyways. James says, you know how a small bit is in the mouth of a horse. It's tiny, but it controls this incredibly powerful animal completely. Or think of a ship. It's huge and massive, but controlled completely by just a little rudder. Now, think of the vast scope of your life. It, too, is something large and powerful, but yet it's controlled by something small, our tongue. See, this is something that we don't take all that seriously. Because think about the phrases we use. Little white lies. You know, the ones that don't really count. It's just a slip of the tongue. Because it's not that big a deal. And then there's the way that we try to self-justify. Saying things like, well, I mean, all I said was the truth. I was just being honest. Oh, you know me. I always speak my mind. All of which are usually ways of just justifying saying something really rude or out of line or even hurtful. I mean, have you noticed how we lead into saying some of the things that are just downright mean? When we slander or gossip, have you noticed how we... we, say those things we start with now I don't mean to gossip but then we gossip or I love that person but and then we say something that's anything but loving about that person or if you're from the south I'm I'm a northerner but I've but if you're from the south you say bless her heart And then you can say whatever you want to say about her because you've blessed her heart ahead of time, so it's okay. Now, what we say can also be powerful in a good way, too. See, the Bible's very clear about the potency of encouraging words, uplifting words, complimentary words. They're just as powerful to build up as they are to tear down. But that's what makes the way we talk so out of whack. See, we've made tearing people down a virtuous thing. And then we've made building them up somehow a bad thing. Here's what I mean. We've already talked about how we justify tearing people down, but listen how we compliment people. Before we pay someone a compliment or encourage them, we feel as if we almost have to say, now don't get a big head, but. And then we somehow think that's a compliment. Why do we say that? It's, It's almost an insult, as if the person can't handle a compliment. Or we feel like we need to give them some spiritual instruction on how to take an encouraging word. It's almost like we have to take something away from them or put them down in some way before we can then try to build them up and be a little bit nice to them. You see how 
sick that is, how messed up that is, just encourage them. Just pay them the compliment. Why is it so hard? See, the biggie that James has in mind is the destructive force of our words. That it's more destructive than we could even possibly imagine. See, that's where he takes us next. Picking up in verse 5, he says, It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, and send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right out of the pit of hell. Some strong language there from James, but James knows how serious this is and how lightly we take it. And it's, it's a great image because like a spark to a raging forest fire, reports of massive fires taking dozens of lives, destroying hundreds of thousands of acres, engulfing home after home, and then it turns out it was started by a single cigarette or a single match. That's the way the tongue works too. A single word, a single sentence, a single conversation can destroy a life, can separate a marriage, can wreak havoc in an organization, and can ruin a reputation. can turn brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, nation against nation. So let's take the tongue as seriously as James is asking us to and to try to think through what would be involved in controlling the tongue. You see, if we were to put some spiritual controls on our mouths, what would they look like? If we were to run everything we say through some kind of a filter, to clean things up, to guard our souls, what would those filters look like? This morning, I want to suggest to you four different filters. The first filter is, is what I'm going to say true? If you know it's not true, or if you're not sure if it's true, or if it's just a rumor, or if it's second or third hand information, then don't say it. Only say it if it is in fact true. But that's not the only filter. That's filter number one. Filter number two, is what I'm going to say helpful? Because even if it gets past the true filter, meaning it actually is true, doesn't mean that it's helpful. Is it encouraging? Does it build people up? You see, our words should heal, should bring life, should build up, should benefit those who listen. I know things about people that are true, that if I were to say or to repeat or to pass on would be hurtful. Truth itself is not enough. It has to pass the why test. Why would I say that? 
What's my agenda? Am I trying to hurt someone or am I trying to build them up? Filter number three. Is what I'm going to say to the right person? Are you talking to who you should be talking to? Not to some random third person. Not to a group of close friends. Biblically, there's only one person you should go to first if you have an issue with them. And that is the person you have the issue with. Are you talking to the right person? And filter number four, is what I'm going to say loving? And that may be the biggest filter of all, because if you were seeking to be loving towards that person, you wouldn't say something that wasn't true. If you're seeking to be loving, you wouldn't say anything that wasn't helpful, and you certainly wouldn't say it behind their back. But it also speaks to how you say things. Will it be gracious? humble? Will it give the other person the benefit of the doubt? Or will it be accusing and judgmental, sanctimonious and mean-spirited? See, this is such an important filter that James wants to talk a little bit more and, and drive it home just a little bit more. Picking up in verse 7, he says, this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish water the next. Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a clear, cool water, are you? So what's... James's final point here, how we talk to each other, how we talk about each other should reflect how we talk to God and how we talk about God. Or at the very least, it should reflect how God would talk to and about the people we are talking about. The key for Christ followers, James holds us to a higher standard. What James is wanting to expose is this. Someone who is a Christ follower honors God with their mouth, sings about him, prays about him, but then often turns around and verbally abuses another person. They slander, they backstab, they criticize, they tear down, they belittle, they mock, they spread suspicion, they undermine, they fault find. That's not just sinning with our mouths. That's undermining everything we say we believe about God. And it even undermines our relationship with Him. 
Because the call on our life is to love God and to love people. If you love God but don't love people, then something is wrong with the loving God part of your life. Because they are his people, his children. It would be like some, someone coming up to me and saying, Matt, I love your teaching, I love you as a pastor, and then turning around and tearing Amy down to someone else without grace or mercy. As if somehow they can be fine with me, but cruel to her. That they can praise me, but condemn her. You see how offensive that would be to me? How it would make their words to me and about me meaningless. But James says, that's what we do with God. We praise him, and then we curse his children. But it's even more toxic than that. See, these are not just God's children, but as followers of Christ, they are our brothers and sisters, our mothers and daughters, our fathers and sons. They are members of our family. This is a church where the right use of the tongue should be seen by the world where love and grace should flow the most freely of anywhere. And James says, when you do that, when you praise God but tear down people, when you do that, you're almost worse than those who don't follow Christ at all. And that's why James is coming down so hard on this. And well, he should. There's an editorial in Christianity, Christianity Today that, that discussed how no attribute in civilized life seems more under attack than civility. People call themselves Christians are among the worst when it comes to being civil. He said, the author says this, he says, the extent to which certain Christians have turned themselves into self-appointed attack dogs of Christ, Christendom they seem determined to savage not only the opponents of Christianity, but also fellow believers whose doctrinal positions they disapprove. A troll through the internet reveals websites drenched in sarcasm and animosity that an agnostic or a follower of another faith tradition interested in what it means to become a Christian might be permanently disillusioned. Has a church lost the ability to be civil amongst each other? We may be pleased, but when we do so, we are not being followers of Jesus. So I'm going to add one more filter. I know I said there's four, but I'm going to add a fifth because I'm the pastor and I can do that if I want to. Filter number five is just keep your mouth shut. Seriously, because the more we talk, the more we sin. In fact, Proverbs 10, 19 says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. See, the more I open my mouth, 
The more I lie, the more I gossip, the more I cause conflict, the more I exaggerate, the more I make promises that I can't keep, the more I boast, the more I say things that are hurtful or contentious or downright rude. But the less I speak, the more I tell the truth, the more I speak well of others, I spread peace, I demonstrate humility, I, I keep my word and say things that are careful, measured, sensitive, and encouraging. So if you can't manage to follow the first four filters, if you can't speak the truth in a helpful way to the right person in a loving way, then just follow the fifth filter. And just shut up. You know, Madison was asking me about a song to close with, and this is kind of a hard topic to find a closing song, an appeal song to, and I I sent her one, and she's, she's not going to do it. I don't know why. Um, it, was, it was probably because it's not really Sabbath appropriate. It's Black Eyed Peas, Just Shut Up. Um, if you don't know the song, maybe go listen to it after Sabbath hours because it's not really appropriate. But it's a perfect song for this because sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes we can't follow those first four filters, but we just need to follow the fifth and to shut up. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us wisdom that we so often don't follow. We, we have these filters that James will give us, but we don't follow them. And in so doing, we harm your witness to the community. Help us, Jesus. Help us to speak the truth in a helpful way to the right person, in a loving way. Help us to lift you up, to say the right things so that when they look at us, they see you. That when we speak, they hear you. And Jesus, if we can't do that, then just help us to stop talking at all. Because at the end of the day, we need you so much more. So Jesus, in the morning, in the evening, whenever I need you, just be there for us. Give me Jesus. Amen.